Good morning, Redeeming Grace. Good morning, those of you who are our guests today. It's a joy to see each of you. It's a joy to be together to worship our great Lord and Savior uh, here together today. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, there towards the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Our passage today will be verses 3 through 5. If you've been with us for the last few weeks or longer, you know we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we're taking a little of a break next, this week and next, and uh, we'll get back to Luke soon, but this morning we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1 and down to verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and that you would change us by your grace all for your glory, we pray in Christ's name, amen. There is a strong tendency to think wrongly about life. Sometimes we believe that if we would just be a better Christian, or if we would just be a better person, things would be better. Some of you came here this morning thinking that. That if you would just be a better person, a better Christian, you would have more contentment in your singleness, you would have a happier marriage, your children would mind you more, that if you would just be a better person, your, your parents may not be so hard to deal with, work would be easier, successes would come more naturally, and so forth. This thought, be a better Christian, life will be, get, life will be better. Be a better person, life will be easier. Friend, if that is how you tend to think, then you need to know that your hope is misguided. And not only that, it's very short-sighted. While striving for faithfulness in the Christian life is a good thing, a commanded reality, it does not guarantee that life will be freed from pain and difficulty and trials. So if your perspective is, if I would just do better, life would get better, then that's gonna be quite disorienting when life hits the wall.
our hope, our confidence, our joy is not rooted in how good or easy life can be. There will be times in this world, times of joy and times of sorrow. There will be times of plenty and times of need. There will be times of hardship and times of ease. And there is no way to predict just how much of one or the other we will experience in a given year, much less a given day. So if your hope is rooted in how things go in this life, then your hope will never be secure. And so Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to help us understand where our hope rests. Friend, if you've come here today and you're tired, you're frustrated, you're disappointed, you're fearful, you're sad, you're hurt, you're defeated, you're confused, and you need hope, you are in the right place. If you're watching and you experience some of those things and, and, and you just find life so difficult and disorienting at times, you are at the right place. If you're not any of those things, you will be one day. This is Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is a day of celebration and joy because it grounds our hope in something beyond ourselves and beyond our experiences so that that hope can last into this life and through this life into the next. And that's what we all need. We need a grounded, a rooted hope that keeps our perspective fixed heavenward so that when life hits the wall or we get disoriented or or things go hard and difficult, that our hope doesn't waver because it's rooted in something beyond ourselves. And that's exactly what we find in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The book of First Peter is a letter Peter wrote this letter to, as we see in verses one and two, a group of scattered and suffering Christians. These believers were scattered throughout this region, Asia Minor and what is known as modern day Turkey, throughout that region. And if you read the rest of this letter, Peter has a lot to say about suffering, about trials and hardship and difficulty. So he's writing to a struggling, scattered people that needed hope. They needed a a true source of joy and confidence so that their hope would be not governed by the, the way things go in a given day, but it would be governed by objective reality outside of themselves. And friends, that's exactly what we need. We come to this letter and we come to these verses and Peter is urging us to to praise God and to trust God despite all of the challenges and sufferings we find in this world. You see that there in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if he's saying praise be to God. 
through the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give God praise. And he, he's saying God is to be praised for several reasons. We could read the rest of his letter and he could give a whole lot more, but we're going to just focus this morning in these first few verses, verses 3 through 5, and we're going to see three aspects of our salvation that Peter highlights that grounds our hope in God and what he's done in Jesus Christ so that our joy and our praise will be in him. So why should we give God praise and why should God be the foundation of our hope? Well, let me give us, let us see what Peter says as we see he gives us and let me give us these three reasons this morning as to why we should ground our hope and joy in him. The first reason that we see Peter writes about regarding why our hope and joy should be rooted in God is that we see God's provision to redeem us. We see God has made way for sinful humanity to be reconciled to him. Peter begins with praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins this letter with praise, a blessing directed to God, and then gives us the reason as to why that should be. It's tied to his work of redemption. Again, remember, Peter's goal here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is to encourage believers amidst their sufferings by helping them grasp the eternal inheritance that God has secured for them. This redemption, this salvation is referred to here in a variety of different ways. He refers to it as a living hope, as an inheritance, as salvation. But he elaborates here further about this redemption and blessing that God has given us. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice what he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just to consider several more aspects about this redemption. And by the way, we've got three points. The first point is by far the longest. And so 20 minutes from now, when we're still at point one, don't panic, okay? Those last two points are a little shorter, a lot shorter actually, uh, but just as important. Three aspects about redemption. God's provided way for us to be redeemed and I want us to consider three aspects about that redemption. First of all, I want, us, you know, I want you to see the motive of our redemption. Peter describes what motivated God in his response to reconcile and redeem sinners. Listen, when God chose to bring salvation to this world, it was not because he looked down into this world and saw our potential. When God chose to bring salvation to this world, it's not because he, he saw just how good we were doing, as if this was a reward for our good behavior. No, the very thing that motivated God to bring salvation was his mercy. You see it in verse three. According to his great mercy. It does not say according to our good behavior, according to our good works in righteousness, according to our potential, not at all. It's despite the wreck that we've made of this world and this life, 
that God acts according to his great mercy. When you think of mercy, you think of giving someone relief. They're in pain or suffering and in mercy, you provide them what would be necessary to gain them relief, right? When you think about it from a spiritual reality and you contemplate what mercy is coming from God, we need to understand that that mercy highlights the reality of our sinful condition. It, It assumes that we don't have potential or else we would not need mercy. It assumes that we have some inability in us to gain reconciliation with God on our own and therefore God extends mercy. It's an act of compassion that God brings a sinner and takes them from misery to glory. Sin has ruined us. It has rendered us without hope, keeping us at odds with our creator. If you go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, you read about that. There's creation in chapters one and two. In chapter three, you see the, the, the sin of Adam and Eve and their rebellion against their creator, and that has since spread to every single one of us. We're all guilty before a holy and righteous God. And so sin has ruined us. It's rendered us without hope, yet God's mercy motivates him to pursue us despite our rebellion against him. I want you to hear how Paul wrote of this reality. In Ephesians chapter two, this is what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter two in verse one, Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what? Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. All mankind, by nature, children of wrath. But, but God, this is what Paul says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we had no potential, even when we were in rebellion against him, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, this is a good reminder. It's a good reminder to to look in the mirror and to consider that nothing about you motivated God to love you. He was compelled by his mercy and his love for you, no matter how bad you are. Friend, you may be struggling today to understand how God could be merciful. Maybe you're not a Christian and you're here, you're watching, and maybe you're just stuck in your own head. 
of how unworthy you are in your own mind. You, you, you just kind of stuck there in your own head thinking, how could God love me? How could God give me mercy? When I think about just how dead I am, how, how unlovely I am. Or maybe you're here and, and you've been trying to somehow achieve a right standing before God. Maybe part of that seeking to to earn your way into heaven is is even being here this morning. Maybe if I go on Easter, maybe a few other weeks throughout the year, maybe maybe if I just do kind of check in every now and then, that God will be pleased with me. Friend, regardless of where you stand, you look at your past, and you're present and you wonder how God could love you or you look at your past and your present, you've tried very hard to earn his favor. Understand that in either case that the way that you can be reconciled to holy God has nothing to do with your performance or your potential and there's nothing about you that can ruin you to the point of God being unwilling to redeem you. Listen, Even the greatest sinner on earth is no match for the mercy of God. There is no sin too great that mercy cannot meet and cover through the work of Jesus Christ. So the motive of redemption is God's mercy. Let's look next at the work of redemption. Peter continues, you see, according to his great mercy, this is the motive, this is what motivated, compelled God to act He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, there's so much packed in that statement. God's motive of mercy led him to act to bring about reconciliation between us and him. So how does he do this? So here you have a reference to being born again, what we call the new birth. In order for sinners to be given salvation, this what Peter calls living hope, or later an inheritance, they must experience a new birth. The the new birth is a change of heart. You need to understand that salvation is an inward work of grace that God does in our hearts, in the inner you, your, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, your motives, all of those things that, that comprise your heart. He, he encounters you in your sin and he gives you a new heart. This is the new birth. This inward work that ultimately results in outward fruit. So many people get that flip-flopped. They think And I would say the majority of the people in this this world probably think this, including many in our churches. Many think that if I do well, or if I do enough good, if I reform myself, then God will give me eternal life. And that is not at all what the Bible teaches. In fact, what the Bible will teach is that there is not enough we can do. God's standard is holiness, perfection, righteousness. 
and we will all fall short of that. So we understand that the the work of grace that is needed is this new birth. According to his mercy, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This is a work of God. He has caused us. You don't cause yourself to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. He has brought this about. A new birth must occur, which is a spiritual transformation that God initiates. Again, back to Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 5. I read this just a minute ago. Paul says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. God's work of grace to bring us life, this this new birth that results in transformation. Yes, once this new birth is experienced, you are given a new status before God. You are given a new hope, new desires, new priorities, a new power by the Holy Spirit, and yes, a new destiny. Peter goes on to explain how this work of redemption is brought about through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you see the motive and the work. God's motive was his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This redemption, this salvation, this living hope that we're speaking of is grounded in and secured by Jesus. He is the way through which God demonstrates his mercy and accomplishes everything we need for salvation. Everything. His triumph over death is highlighted here. But you think about the entirety of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's born of a virgin. He walks this world. He lives a life of perfect righteousness. He dies a death on a cross as a substitute for sinners. And he is raised from the dead three days later to give us hope. But here Peter zeroes in on the resurrection. He's not denying the other important aspects of his work, the fact that he lived righteous life, that he died a sinner's death. Those things are needed because none of us are righteous on our own. If you wanna compare yourself to a holy God, None of us match, none of us meet that standard. Well, none of us obey God's law perfectly, but Jesus comes, the son of God in human flesh, and he obeys the standard of God perfectly. And yet he dies on a cross to bear the guilt and payment and punishment of our sin upon his own shoulders, dying in our place. But it's the resurrection of Jesus that secures that hope for us because Through the resurrection, Jesus demonstrates power and victory over our great enemy, which is death. His triumph over death is the reason we have a living hope because it points us to the fact that we too will one day be raised in newness of life. So friends, your joy in this life, regardless of the things you experience, is rooted not in your ability to be a good Christian or to be a good person. If, there's, if that's where you're rooting your hope, that is a miserable way to live and it will get you nowhere. But if your hope is rooted in this, verse three, if your hope is rooted in the mercy of God, who does this great work of giving us a new birth and securing it for us and a hope that comes because of that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
that no matter what happens in this world, no one, nothing can take this hope away from you. You see the motive, you see the work of redemption, but then the the hope, as Peter has referred to it here, is a living hope. He's referring to the hope of resurrection we will also enjoy. Again, this is good news, especially as Peter writes this, especially for a people who were scattered and a people who were suffering as these believers were in Peter's day. Peter's encouraging them with this living hope because he knows that this world is not the end. When death comes, it does not have the final word. How do we know that? Because there's an empty tomb near Jerusalem that says so. Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, chapter from which Jeremy read earlier. He says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, what the New Testament testifies to regarding this living hope, we could sum it up in this way. That if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, which he was, then we're all going to be okay if we're in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is the very reason for us to persevere in the disappointments, the heartaches, the sufferings, the, the, the struggles of this world. Sickness, tragedy, suffering, disappointments, failures, frustrations. These things will not last. And the very thing that not only helps us persevere through them, but to give God praise in them, is the fact we have a living hope. In verse 4, Peter describes this living hope as an inheritance. And we know that God uses this language of inheritance even in the Old Testament with with his people Israel. The inheritance back in the Old Testament was referring to the promised land. Numbers 26, you can go read about how that language is often used in reference to the promised land. But by the time we get to the New Testament, the inheritance is no longer viewed in terms of a land, but of an eternal heavenly hope. Granted, it will still be physical because there will be a new heavens and a new earth, but it's much more elaborate in its scope. An inheritance reminds us, by the way, that it's something that we don't earn or build ourselves. If you were given an inheritance, someone has given you that. Peter further describes this inheritance with several terms. He says it's an inheritance that is imperishable. Meaning that this inheritance that You've been promised, secured through the work of Jesus Christ, guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus, brought about because of the mercy of God. This inheritance is not temporary. It's not just something for you to enjoy 10 or 20 years. This word, it means that it cannot perish or be corrupted. The inheritance the Israelites received would would kind of come and go. 
based on their part in the covenant, their obedience and disobedience. But this inheritance is imperishable. You know, the things in this world will grow old. Given enough time, weeds will grow. Structures will age and need repair and even collapse. But our inheritance is imperishable. It's also undefiled. This inheritance can't be corrupted or spoiled. It's always flawless. This inheritance that Jesus promises us will never lose its luster or beauty. Now it's, it's hard from our vantage point, granted, it's hard for us to imagine a world undefiled by sin. That's all we've known. It's hard for us to contemplate a world, a place, a reality forever that is not somehow impacted by sin. A world where locks aren't needed. A world where hospitals are no more. A world where there is no jail, no fear, no sickness, no sin. We know that this world is filled with all sorts of immorality and all sorts of defilement right down to our very own hearts. But this inheritance that we've been promised, that's been secured through the finished work of Jesus Christ will have no such defilement. It's unfading, number three, it remains forever. This is a word that's used to describe a flower that doesn't wither or die. Now our bodies will fade and die, our cars will break down, our homes will age and devalue, although not right now. Trees will eventually rot and on and on we go, but this inheritance is one that will never be subject to decay, never. And listen, Peter says, all of this, this living hope, this inheritance that's been given to you because of God's mercy, accomplished for you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading for you, listen, God's keeping it for you. It's kept, it's secure, it's guarded. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, this is yours. It's promised to you. So no matter what kind of day or week or year or decade you're having, no matter the trials or circumstances or sufferings you're enduring, you can go right back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and be reminded and be reoriented that your hope does not rest in how things work out in this life, but how God has ultimately accomplished and secured your eternal redemption and has given you an inheritance that will last forever. So friend, don't put your hope, don't root your confidence and your joy and your happiness in things and how you can do in this world. Rooted in God and his finished work through his son, Jesus Christ. Imagine the encouragement this would have been to Peter's recipients, an encouragement to these scattered, suffering believers. And what an encouragement it is for us today. You know, things in this life can grow difficult. It can be tempting and feel 
quite real that maybe God has forgotten me. Yet these inspired words remind us, fellow believer, that he has not forgotten you, nor will he forget you. He has done this for you. He has provided this for you. So when contemplating all that's going on in our day, there's a lot we know that can drag us down, a lot can discourage us and so forth. Yet, this reminds us that God is to be praised because of what he's done to secure our living hope. His promise to redeem, his provision to redeem us leads us to number two, second reason why we should give God praise and root our confidence and hope in him is God's power to keep us. This inheritance, Peter says, is being kept in heaven for you, Christians, who are being guarded, he continues, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God has promised to keep this inheritance for us and he will guard and protect us until we receive it. He's telling these early believers and us that we can absolutely count on the facts that receiving this inheritance is going to happen because God by his own promise and power will guard us until we receive it. This idea of guarding and shielding is a, is a word that's, that's often used in the New Testament time of putting up garrisons in order to protect it, a, a town or a city or a village from an enemy. And that's what we're being told here. But this inheritance is being kept who by God's power are being guarded. God is putting up garrisons to protect us and preserve us and guard us until we receive this promised inheritance. What it does not mean, what this does not mean is that because of this hope, that somehow we will be exempt from the sufferings of this present time, from the persecutions that will come our way, from the challenges and disappointments of a fallen world, the struggles of our own hearts. See, if, you, if you're tempted to think that, and to some degree I think all of us are, I am, Lord, if I just believe your word enough and if I just give myself to obedience enough, which we should be obeying God, somehow life will just get better. It may. It may get better. But it very well may not. does mean though that regardless of what we experience the good or the bad that in this life God will see to it that we will inherit his promise notice what Peter says that we are being guarded by the way through faith the fact that God guards us does not mean that we are called in this promise and there's hope to be passive. The faith or trust referenced here 
is not an isolated act where God says, if you'll just believe that one time, whenever it was in the past, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then that's gonna somehow carry you through. No, this, this being guarded through faith is an ongoing trust, an ongoing belief in the promises and provision of God. True saving faith continues and endures until that final day. So what Peter is saying to his readers, to those who are scattered, to those who are suffering, hardships, persecutions, what he's saying to us today, inspired by the Spirit, is regardless of what you're facing, keep believing, keep trusting, keep your eyes on the inheritance accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ given to you because of the great mercy of God. Because as you do that, as you persist in your faith, in Christ, he will guard you. The power of God that extends to protect us is also by the means, also by the way, the means by which our faith is strengthened. He will preserve you through faith, a faith that clings to the provision and power of God to guard you, even through suffering. So God promises to keep us, which leads me to the last and final point, his promise to deliver us. God's to be praised, why? Because according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to what? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter describes God's redemption Notice how he, notice the past, present, and future of this passage. He, he describes this promise from his work in the past to cause us to be born again, to God's work in the present, to guard us presently through faith, and now again to his work in the future to give us an inheritance, a salvation in the last time this living hope, this inheritance, this salvation, all point to this future eternal blessing. Friends, I think so often salvation is viewed strictly from a past or present reality. And certainly there's a past and present reality about our salvation. But it's also future, as it includes being finally and fully rescued from God's judgment and wrath on the last day when we receive that inheritance take possession of it. Sure, we enjoy some of the blessings and benefits of salvation now in this life, but listen friends, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come because God has given us something that will never fade or ever be defiled or ever perish. Paul said, letter to the Philippian church, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So while this salvation was secured for us in the past, while this salvation is guarded for us in the present, it is a salvation that will be revealed to us in the future when God hands us this great and glorious possession that is the foundation of our living hope. So friends, if your hope is in this life, if your hope is rooted in the things of this world, then you will actually never know what it means to have true hope. 
and you will miss out entirely on this future hope that Peter points us to. So friend, if that is you, if, you, if, you're, if your hope is here, if your hope is somewhere in you or in someone else, we just simply say, look elsewhere. Look specifically. Look specifically to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Quit trusting in yourself. Quit clinging to the world with a hope that cannot last. And look to Christ and rest in him and what he has accomplished and secured for those who would believe. And fellow Christians, let this be a reminder to us all that our hope does not ebb and flow with our successes. Our hope rests alone in Jesus Christ. Our hope is secured for us through Jesus. And so let him be the foundation of your joy and confidence and hope. And by keeping your eyes on this living hope, not only will you be compelled to run the race well in faithfulness and obedience, but no matter what you experience in this life, through the highs and through the lows, you'll be able to rest confidently that he will see you home. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. The world does not offer hope. It does not offer true hope, true joy, true peace, true life. That only comes through Jesus Christ. Look to him and rest in him and you will have that hope secured for you in the past, guarded for you in the present and it will be delivered to you in the future just as he said. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful reminder today that you have provided us a living hope. That you've given us everything we need to have true confidence and joy and peace. Father, we acknowledge that there are many times in this life when we are seeking to trust so many other things to give us that. And this world and the things of this life, even the things of our own hearts and attempts will always fall short. This world, it, it can't give us what it promises. But God, you can. Because never, has one of your promises failed. And so Lord, we look this morning to this reminder of the source of our hope. It's not found in our ability and our strength and our performance and how we do in a given day. Our hope is secured in something outside of us. And we're thankful for that. So Lord, would you reorient if, if we're distracted, if we're disoriented this morning, would you reorient our hope and cause it to be fixed on Christ? If we're not trusting in Jesus, Lord, would you open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to, to help us see that, that he is the true source of hope and confidence and joy and salvation. He's the only one that can give us life abundantly now and life eternally later. So Lord, would you be at work in us to bring about what we could never give ourselves. 
Thank you for this reminder and for this hope that's ours through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.